Over the last several weeks, we have been talking about how the resurrection was only the beginning of what Jesus is doing. You want to fill that in in your outline? It's that first blank to fill in right at the top there. Hope you follow along on the outline today because we have got a lot of scripture to hit. And I want it to be right in front of you, not just on the screen, but also right there in your lap so that you can use it today. The resurrection, say it with me, the resurrection was only the beginning of what Jesus is doing. I'm so glad that Jesus started something new after the resurrection. How about you? I'm so glad that it wasn't just a stop at that point and I'm done and I'm leaving planet Earth. I'm, I'm so glad that Jesus has, is doing something. He is continuing to do something today. Check this out. Mark verse, uh, verse 9 of chapter 16. After Jesus rose from the dead, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene. She went to the disciples and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, Jesus appeared to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. And he told them, go into the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. These signs will accompany these who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in a new language. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Here's what I want you to get today. I want you to get this down. If you don't get anything else today, that's okay. Just get this right here. Jesus wants to work supernaturally in our lives. He wants to work supernaturally in our lives. And when we talk about Jesus working supernaturally in our lives, I got to tell you, people become skeptical. They become critical. They questioned it. They, they scrutinize it. People have the hardest time accepting the fact that Jesus wants to work supernaturally in our lives. People struggle with the idea of Jesus working supernaturally in their lives. And yet, the idea of supernatural is all around us. I mean, you've probably recognized some of these TV shows or characters or movies. I mean, if you know some of them, tell your neighbor, hey, I know that movie, I know that show. You know, most people are open to the idea of the supernatural. We know this to be true by the list, host of movies and TV shows and characters that are connected with the idea of supernatural occurrences, doesn't matter what venue, TV screen, big screen, there's a plethora of shows and movies featuring the supernatural. In fact, many are interested in the supernatural, and I think people seek the supernatural because the natural isn't working. And we know this to be true. I mean, come on, life is hard. Just turn to the person next to you, just tell them life is hard. It is, isn't it? It really is. I don't know about you, but there are days, just bear with me here, I'm just going to, I need counseling today, okay? There are days, there are weeks, sometimes months, but more like weeks sometimes for me, where I, I'll see a child playing wherever, and, I, and I'll just think to myself, can I just go back to those days? Do you ever, I mean, we're adults here, we can talk as adults, right? Do you ever have that where you just like, 
Can I, can I just leave adulting and go back to being a kid? Because sometimes being an adult is hard. Anybody else? I mean, I'm the only one. Maybe I need to go to a therapist. I don't know. But, it, you know, it, it's hard, isn't it? Life is hard. And, and, and we need a better source. I don't know about you, but I need a better source than me. I need a better source than people around me. I need a better source than our government. I need a better source than community. I need a better source. Anybody else like me in that? I, I need a source. I need a better source because natural isn't working. Unfortunately, many people turn to fake sources. And we've seen that. We know that in our culture. People turn to things like psychics and new age and the satanic and cultic activity rather than seeking the true supernatural power of God. This is tragic because Jesus is supernatural. This is something that you and I, we, we have a hard time getting our mind around, but it's true. Jesus is supernatural. Come on. Somebody who could say that he's going to die and that he would come back to life and then pull it off is supernatural. I'm not sure if you've ever done that. I've never done that before. Jesus is supernatural. And he pulls it off supernaturally. And Jesus wants to work supernaturally in our lives. I think that's why Jesus said for his followers to wait on the Holy Spirit. He knew they would need help. He knows we need help. Look what Jesus says in Acts 1. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. John baptized you with water. In a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Today I want you to look at with me one way that Jesus works supernaturally in our lives. One way that he wants to work in our lives. Look at this one. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. Come on, let's read it together. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, don't forget, don't forget, they were already in a relationship with Jesus. These are already followers of Jesus. Don't miss this. This was not something new. This was not them coming to faith. They already had faith in Jesus. This was a second experience. The, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit wasn't for salvation, it was for empowering. The followers were empowered for what Jesus was asking them to do. They were being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then they, that what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. So there's three tangible signs. We see the wind and the fire and then in verse 4, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Isn't it interesting that back in Mark chapter 16, we already read it, Jesus said this is what's going to happen those who believe will speak in new languages. So Jesus is already telling them, guys, this is what's going to happen, and now it's happening. This word languages, if you got your outline, you want to circle that word languages. It's an interesting Greek word. If you don't know, the New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek and then translated so that we could have it in English, and this Greek word is glossa. Say it with me, glossa. It's a great word. It, it is interchangeable. It's a word that's interchangeable with tongue or language, glossa. And throughout the New Testament, this word glossa indicates, I love this, flowing speech. Speech that was just 
that would just flow out of a person. Glossa. They began, it says, to speak in other languages, new languages or tongues they didn't know. They spoke, we're going to see in just a minute, in, in at least 14 different languages. Languages that they did not know, they did not understand. This was supernatural. Look at verse 5. At that time, there were Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. As we read in verse 1, and we've already talked about this in weeks prior of this series, it was the annual festival feast of Pentecost. And it was during this time, one of three annual festivals, when all Jewish men were required to travel to the temple in Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to God. Jews from all over the known world were gathering together in this one spot on the globe. So think about it. Thousands of people were clogging the streets of Jerusalem. And look what happens in verse 5. When they heard the loud noise, what were they hearing? They Maybe they were hearing the wind. Maybe they, maybe they were hearing the, the voices, the people speaking in these languages. When they heard this loud noise, it says, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Don't miss this. It says they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. <laughs> And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Basically, they were saying, these are a bunch of hillbilly hicks. Galilee was kind of that way. It was country. How, how, how are these uneducated hillbillies speaking in our languages? I mean, they, they might have been okay with a little bit of Aramaic, but that's about it. They were speaking in 14 different languages. Look what it says. Here we are, Parthenians and Medes, and Elamites, and people from Mesopotamia, and Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts of Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages. Look what it says about the wonderful things God has done. Jesus did something supernatural. This is, the, this is the first supernatural act after Jesus had left planet Earth. This, Jesus did something supernatural in the lives of these followers. They were so filled with the Spirit of God that they were overwhelmed and their mouths overflowed with praise to God. And this is a pattern. Friends, listen to me. This is a pattern that is repeated throughout the book of Acts. The next time is in Acts 10 when God told Peter to go to a house of a, of a Gentile. Jews, if you don't know, and Gentiles, non-Jews, they just didn't mix. They were seen as unclean and they, they, they religiously unclean. And, and this was a brand new thing. And God told Peter, I want you to go to Cornelius' house and I want you to share the message of my son. And so Peter shared with his household, inside his house, about Jesus. And it says in, in Acts 10, as Peter was saying these things, what was he saying? He was telling them about Jesus. Look what it says. The Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening. Isn't it? We just sang that song, I'm listening. The Holy Spirit fell. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Why were they so amazed? It's because they heard something. Look, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. 
Same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. Then in Acts 10, uh, Acts 19 rather, we read that the apostle Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus, where he found several believers. Again, we have believers. These are, these are followers. And Paul asked them a question. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Paul says, then what baptism did you experience? And they said, the baptism of John. And Paul says, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, look at this, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues or languages, glossa, flowing speech, praising God. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking. I want you to get this down. When the Holy Spirit fills me, he will speak through me. Come on, say this with me. When the Holy Spirit fills me, he will speak through me. So why does God choose to speak through us? I think it's because of a couple of reasons. I want you to get these down on your outline. It kind of makes sense. For those of us that are analyzers like I am, I got to know why. Why does God choose to use my mouth, right? So so I believe there's a couple of reasons. First, speech is our most used form of communication. We know that to be true. Some people in this room use this communication form more than others. I realize that. Some of us, you know, carry about 10,000 to 15,000 words a day versus some of us that are like two or 3,000, you know. And I understand that, but guess what? Speech is important to us. In fact, many, of, many if not most, cultures begin, began rather verbally based with their communication long before any written forms of communication existed. Oral tradition. I mean, come on, just imagine trying to share the happiest experience you've ever had in your life without using words. Be hard with it. I mean, even, even in our culture of texting and emails and, you know, Snapchat and everything, it, it, it would be hard to express it without words. I mean, we all know that sometimes words on a page, words on a screen don't carry the same the same meaning, the same emphasis that words face-to-face do. Communication is important. Without speaking, we would have a difficult time communicating. Next, why does God choose to speak through us? I think it's because my words express what's in my heart. My words express what's in my heart. Listen to me. If somebody ever says to you, like they say something mean, and they see that it hurts your feelings, and then they say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. You say, liar! That's what you want. Yeah, I'm just giving you permission. Just tell them that right now. Because, guess what? It came out of their heart. What you speak comes out of your heart. Jesus tells us that. Look what he says. He's very clear. The words you speak come from your heart. What you speak comes out of your heart. And we know how often our words express negative and hurtful things. How our words often reflect the impurity in our lives. Our mouths lie, our our mouths release criticism, our our mouths complain. (laughs) Don't, Don't elbow anybody sitting next to you, just keep looking straight, okay? The words we spew out of our mouths when we're angry and when we're hurt, 
Oh, man, what we say in our obscene and crude language that we use. I remember, just this, this came to mind when I was putting these notes together. I remember being over at Vaughn's and doing some shopping, and I was walking through the produce and just, you know, being a vegan, I'm, I'm in the produce aisles everywhere I go. And, and, and so I'm walking through the produce aisle, and, I, and I, heard this, I heard this guy just swear, use some cuss words that I'm not ever going to repeat, but I, it, it, was, it was really bad and really loud. Of all things, too, he was cussing his child out. And this lady, this lady said she was right there, older lady. She said, whoa, I hope you don't kiss your mama with that mouth. I love that. Isn't that true? What comes out of our mouth sometimes? It's, it's impure. It's crude. It's hurtful. It's evil. James tells us, that people can tame all kinds of animals, but no one can tame the tongue. Listen, right here. Do it with me. Come on. Do it with me. Take your hand like this. Stick your tongue out. Oh, hold it. You know what? We, we can't really tame our tongue. Our tongue just lets loose sometimes, doesn't it? And we all know that's true. He says, it, 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 look what it says. It says, it is restless, it's evil, it's full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises God, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. We're like coming out of both sides of our mouth. Look what he says. And so blessing and cursing comes pouring out of the same mouth. You don't kiss your mama with that mouth. I mean, that's what James is saying, right? Look at Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Wow, that's a whole another series we could talk about the mouth, right? But our mouths show our hearts. And most of the time, it's not pretty. We know that to be true. So God, I believe God comes in and he goes, you know what? I'm going to redeem this. God is so great at redemption. He's going to come in and he's going to redeem our mouths and he's going to make our mouths a source of goodness and a source of blessing to give God praise and to build up the church. And I believe that's why he chooses to use our mouths. In Acts 2, it says, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. It was an overflow of what the Holy Spirit was doing inside of them. Early on in his ministry, Jesus talked about this experience. John tells us this. Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. If anyone believes in me, rivers of living water will flow out from that person's heart. As the scripture says, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he reaches all dimensions of our being. He comes into the core of who we are, that, that rivers of living water will flow out from our heart, our core. And then John says, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not been raised to glory. But later, those who believed in Jesus would What's that? Receive the Spirit. What's he talking about? He's, he's talking about Acts chapter 2. He's talking about the story that we're talking about. When the followers experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus left planet Earth, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, unfortunately, many people don't feel the need for the Holy Spirit. They, they would rather pass on the whole Holy Spirit experience. I think much of what is caused by this disconnect 
is, is what people see in the lives of those who say that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, this, this is going to be a whole other series coming up, but when, when you read what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, what, what the Holy Spirit is supposed to produce in our lives, and you use that as a grid to compare followers of Jesus with what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing in their life, I wonder how many of us and how many of Christians fall way short of what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing in our lives. I mean, come on, look what it says. Paul tells us the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy. But let's just stop right there. How many of us need joy? How many of us would say, yeah, I've got joy of God in me? Hmm. Peace. How many of us need peace of mind and peace of soul? Patience. I would like to just cross that one out. But anyway, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Oh, and there's a big one, self-control. I don't know about you, but I don't always see those things in the lives of people who call themselves filled with the Spirit. In fact, all too often I see more of the opposite of those things. And when you get those people together in a room for worship... Often, Holy Spirit people <laughs> run around the room doing wacko things, calling it the influence of the Holy Spirit. And all that I can say is these people are cray-cray. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. And I can say this from experience. I mean, I grew up in Pentecostal churches all of my life. And early on in my life, there were some churches that we were involved with. You need to come and talk to me later sometime about this, but people were doing some crazy things. People doing laps around the sanctuary, saying it was the Holy Spirit on them. People falling on the floor, people dancing around like their pants are on fire. It's a shame. Listen to me here. This is a Pentecostal pastor talking to you right now. It is a shame what some have created by misrepresenting what the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in our lives. It is a shame what the church has done with the Spirit of God. And it breaks my heart. And even, even beyond that, I think the reason that so many people today are struggling with the Holy Spirit experience is because they don't see enough of Jesus' followers actually living the life of the power of the Holy Spirit and having the power of the Holy Spirit affect their everyday lives. Church, listen. This generation, this generation is looking for more than words. They want to see a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life. The people that work around you, that live around you, that are in your family, that are in our neighborhoods and our communities and our schools and wherever we work, those people, they need to see a demonstration of the power of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
Speaking in tongues as a, as a verbal evidence of the baptism of the Holy, Holy Spirit should just be the beginning of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. There's far more to this. There's far more to the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the life of a follower of Jesus. Holy Spirit power is given because Jesus wants me involved in what he's doing. Holy Spirit power propels a follower into the world as a witness. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. The Holy Spirit power helps us to live a life like Jesus in a world that needs to see Jesus. Friends, do you realize? Listen, let's just wake up to this. Jesus isn't visible today. He's in heaven. At the right hand of God the Father is what Scripture tells us. But guess what? The body of Christ, the church, which is made up of followers of Jesus, we are supposed to be the demonstration, visible sign for the world. When they look at us, they are supposed to see Jesus. Do they? Baptism of the Holy Spirit catapults our experience beyond the natural into a supernatural experience. It goes way beyond speaking in tongues. If, if we only have the verbal evidence but no power, do you realize that people will write off the experience as weak and superficial? But if they see followers of Jesus who live Holy Spirit-empowered lives, reflecting Jesus, which, by the way, that's the goal of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the world, is to point to Jesus, point to Jesus. If, if people see followers who live Holy Spirit-empowered lives, it will bring people to Jesus and grow the church as God all along does these signs and wonders and miracles. Jesus himself tells us that we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You and I do. Because he wants to do something in our world that cannot be done without the Holy Spirit. What Jesus wants to do in the church and the world cannot be done unless his followers are filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, I want to bring this down to where we live today. What Jesus wants to do in Pathway Church and in our community cannot be done unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls us out of complacency and into surrender. Through the Holy Spirit, we can hear God like we've never heard him before. Through the Holy Spirit, we can experience life and worship and, and relationships like never before. Listen to me, friends. Don't get hung up on the verbal overflow of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of the supernatural when Jesus is doing it. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's very clear, friends. Jesus and Paul, two guys that I follow, I hope you do too, Show us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit with verbal overflow in a person's life is real. It's real. And I believe that it still happens today. I believe a baptism with the Holy Spirit in a Jesus follower's life to empower him or her for life and worship and witness and all these things. I believe it's for us today. I believe it's real. 
I sometimes fear that we have so redefined following Jesus into the things that we do that we remove any exposure or experience to the spiritual, to the Holy Spirit. Many people think that they're following Jesus when in fact all they have are ideas in their head and the Holy Spirit has not put power into their heart. It has not affected their heart. Following Jesus is, is not merely ideas. It's not just rituals, it's not just sacraments, it's not just doing things. It's, it's a life-changing experience through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus and Paul tell us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit will change your life. Just think about the term baptized or baptism. Just, 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 just think about that. What does that imply? That implies a, a total dunking, a total immersion in the Holy Spirit. And if, and if the Holy Spirit fully overwhelms you like in a baptism, you can't imagine like the Holy Spirit just you know, sneaking in quietly into your life, inconspicuously. No, if that were the case, why would Jesus and Paul use the words baptism? If you, if you want to experience this kind of thing that Jesus and Paul are talking about. I want to give you three things to focus on. Then we're done today. First off, you want to write these down. First off, I think it's all about access in my life. Get this down. It's all about being open to what Jesus wants to do in me. It's all about being open. I know a couple of weeks ago I, I talked about being open and I felt like I needed to bring that back in. But this time it's a little different. Look at verse 8 of Acts 1. Look what Jesus says. I'm going to emphasize one word. You will, what is that word? Receive. You will receive. Now what does that imply? Somebody's giving. And then it's up to us to receive it. Right? You follow that? I think it's interesting. Another time Jesus said to his followers in John 20, Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. So, so think about it. Just logically think about it. For me to receive, I got to be open to what's being given. Right? If, if you try to give me something that I don't want, I'm not going to receive it. No, 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 no. You keep it. That's good. You know, Caleb always, he tries to get me to taste things at the house. I know I'm notorious for this too, but you do this a lot too. Hey, dad, this is really good. You got to try it. I'm like, oh, no, no, it's okay. Thanks. Because I'm not really sure. Not that I don't love him or trust him, but, you know, he eats weird things. And, and so, you know, I'm not always open to receiving whatever he has, right? Okay. So, so, so I've got to be, I've got to be open to it. The question is, how open are you to what Jesus wants to do in you? I, I got to tell you, that's why I started right here, because there's a lot of us who are close to this. Supernatural? Hmm. We'll just keep it scriptural. Wait, wait, wait now. Jesus, Jesus was scriptural. He, he quoted scripture all the time. And he was supernatural. Right? Paul, another guy that's a good guy to follow, he... He, he was scriptural. Oh, man, he was scriptural. The dude knew his scripture to be who he was, a Pharisee. He had to know a lot of scripture by memory. Okay? But he was incredibly supernatural. Right? He flowed in the supernatural. God used him supernaturally. And we have a tendency to say, well, I'll just take a little bit of God... 
just a little bit of the scriptural part, but I don't know. You know, with, with God the Father, I'm okay. And Jesus, okay, he kind of crosses the line, but he's okay, I'll take him. But the Holy Spirit, oh, let's just put him over in the corner here because that's kind of weird. Spirit? Come on. I, was, I already told you I was a kid growing up in Pentecostal churches, and um, one of the things that, as a child, if you grew up in church, you know, as a child, you, you, you have this desire to experience more. And I was wanting more of God. And, and, and I want to tell you something right up front here. Don't ever discount what's taking place in kids' way classes. I mean, I, I experienced um, the, the, God in a very real way at age seven and accepted him into my life and received him into my life. And then at age nine, I very vividly remember wanting more and wondering about this whole Holy Spirit thing. And, and as a nine-year-old reading scriptures that I didn't fully understand, but I knew that guys like Paul and others talked about it, and, and I was so interested and so open to what God wanted to do that I was, I was seeking. I, I was like, God, I, in, in my nine-year-old little mind, I was like, I want more of this. I know there's something real here. I see all these people doing crazy things, and I don't want to be crazy because a nine-year-old as I was, I, I was, I was bashful. I was behind the scenes, and it wasn't in the, the bigness, and it wasn't in a church service, and it wasn't in this hype and 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 driven experience that so often is associated with the moving of the Holy Spirit. It was in the quiet, gentle moment when God baptized me, Jesus baptized me with the Holy Spirit, and it was in that moment that I knew that this is real, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we could be empowered for life. And it was in that moment truly in that moment that I knew I wanted to tell people the rest of my life about this. That's why I'm here today. Because it was in that moment that it became so real. The thing that I did is I responded. This is what I want you to get down. It's all about being obedient. Not just open, but obedient to what Jesus is saying. Remember what Jesus told him. Do not leave Jerusalem. In just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what did they do? <laughs> they did what he said. Look at it. Verse, 13, or verse 12. The apostles returned to Jerusalem. He told us to, go, to stay in Jerusalem. So what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's stay in Jerusalem. So they did. And it says, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house they were staying. So my question to you is, how obedient are you to what Jesus wants you to do? Even if it doesn't make sense, even, even if it means waiting and none of us like to wait, even, even if it isn't how you plan things to go, even if it's confusing, how obedient are you being to what Jesus is telling you to do? There's one more thing. It's all about being desperate for Jesus to do something. It's all about being desperate. And I, and I know that, that, you know, the other two are really obvious. 
and I, and I may be reading into this, but that's okay. I'm just sharing, okay? I, just notice what they did. Look at verse 12, I'm sorry, verse um, 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Here's what I'm convinced of. The followers gathered because they were desperate. I mean, come on, think about it. Everything had changed for them. They had, they had given three and a half years of their life to follow Jesus, and now everything had changed. He died. He rose from the, from the grave. They saw him, and now he left. He basically said, Tag, you're it. I'm out of here. And he left, and he said, now you got this. Share the message. Everything had changed. They don't know what the next step is. Everything they thought would happen didn't happen. And now, just like you would be, they were desperate. What's next? How desperate are you for Jesus to do something in your life today? Are you broken? Are you disillusioned? Are you questioning? Are you confused? Are you angry? How desperate are you for Jesus to do something in your life? 